Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard, is brought to you by our friends at Fight.tv. I'm telling you, the Fight app is the place to be, especially Friday, January 4th. You know, here on the show every week, we talk about old school WWE. But what are we watching now? I'll tell you what I'm watching. Friday, January 4th, it's New Japan Pro Wrestling's biggest event of the year. Wrestle Kingdom 13, live from the sold-out Tokyo Dome. And now you can watch it on Fight. That's right. This year's Wrestle Kingdom 13 main event is going to feature Kenny Omega defending his IWGP heavyweight title against Tanahashi. Plus, the Intercontinental Champ Chris Jericho is going to defend his strap against Naito. Also in action, Okada, Cody, the Young Bucks, and more. See all four hours of this live action on Friday, January 4th. Do what I'm doing. Go to fight.tv or the Fight app, and you can pre-order the wrestling event of the year. It's just four days into the new year, and it's already the event of the year. It's Wrestle Kingdom 13. Start time for all the action is 3 a.m. Eastern. But that's what's great about the Fight app. You can watch anytime. What are you waiting for? Download the Fight app and pre-order Wrestle Kingdom 13 right now. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, yeah, but There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. What's going on, man? How are you? Well, I had a happy Christmas and uh, looking forward to a merry new year. Man, I so, am, I'm excited. You know, this is uh, our last uh, show of the year, and we're going out with a bang. This is going to be uh, a fun one because we're, we're going all the way back to when Mick Foley won the world title for the first time. What a big moment it was in wrestling and uh, hopefully you had a couple of big moments over the holiday. How was Santa Claus to you? Uh, Santa Claus was good, man. It was a, it was a great Christmas at the Pritchard household. We got up uh, early on Christmas morning, had eggs, Benedict ripped open packages and what more could you want? Well, that makes sense because you've been a dick all year. Uh, last week we covered the episode of Monday night raw where stone cold stunned Santa Claus. So hopefully Santa was recovered in time to make a trip around the world to your house. And it feels like we're making a couple of trips around the world because Bruce, you're fired up about your solo tour in Australia. Apparently these tickets are going fast. Tell everybody where they can get them and where you're coming. Well, head on over to BrucePritchard.com for all of our live events, but I'm going to be in Australia in Sydney on March 22nd, Melbourne on the 23rd and Brisbane on March 24th. This is a solo tour. It's just me telling great stories, doing a lot of interaction with the crowd and get those tickets over at BrucePritchard.com. But you and I are starting off. uh, Well, I'm going to start off with Eric Bischoff at a 
autograph signing and meet and greet at Fitterman Sports and Baybrook Mall right in my hometown here in Friendswood, Texas, man. So that's going to be a blast on Saturday, January 5th. And we're going to be joined by the likes of Ted DiBiase, Bushwhacker Luke, Nasty Boys, Demolition, Tito Santana, and a whole lot more. That's going to be a blast. Then you and I are going to hook it up, man. And we're going to town. I'm looking forward to it. Colorado Springs. That should be fun. Uh, January 19th. And then of course on the 26th, the next week we're in San Diego with the world famous madhouse comedy club. That is a 2 PM show. Don't you dare miss it. And of course, we're not going to miss the 27th in Phoenix at the Royal rumble. You don't want to miss it. Come check us out right now. BrucePritchard.com is where you can find out all your information about all these shows, including a super show on March 1st at the Mohegan sun in Connecticut. It'll be Eric Bischoff. It'll be Bruce Pritchard. It's something to wrestle with 83 weeks. BrucePritchard.com has all your information on where you can find all these shows. Come see us in the new year. You'll be glad you did and fire up your WWE network. Let's get on over to raw number 293. It aired on January 4th, 1999. Uh, but before we talk about January 4th, 1999, I want to talk to you about January 4th, 2019, because that is wrestle kingdom 13. I'm excited about this one. It's going to be a huge show on top. You've got Kenny Omega defending his world title against Tanahashi. You've also got Jericho and Naito. You've got juice Robinson and Cody Okada's on the show. The young bucks are there. It is the super show of the year and it's happening on fight.tv. That's where I'll be watching it. I've got the fight app on my phone, on my tablet, even on my Apple TV. I can watch it both live or on demand because I've pre-ordered it on fight and you should too. Four hours of live action next Friday, January 4th. Don't miss it. The start time is 3 a.m. Eastern midnight Pacific, but you get to watch it live or on demand on fight. It's fight.tv biggest show of the year. You don't want to miss it. I'm telling you it's the place to be fight.tv for wrestle kingdom 13, but let's fire up that network, man. Let's talk about January 4th, 1999 raw number 293. We're going to do a watch along on this show. Bruce, give us a countdown. We'll press play. We'll get going. All right. So I already went through that first, uh, whatever signature and shit. So I've got zeroed out here and we're going to go when I say play. So in five, four, three, two, one play. And now you got the old signature, the leader in sports entertainment, the world wrestling federation. I like this open much better than the one from last week. From the Santa Claus one, <laughs> that's because it was a little edgier and a little different. As we see the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Imagine that getting fired from Vince McMahon. And I was doing the math the other day. How many people have been fired and been back so many times? And I'm one of those. Yep, you are. And there he is. Of course, we're talking about the end of 1998 here when this was filmed. And once again, in, uh, Massachusetts, which is sort of fun because it feels like that's where all of Sean shenanigans happen. But I like that. We're opening with almost like a, a package, a best of a highlight reel of his entire run going all the way back to the rockers, the intercontinental run, and then his incredible run in 96 as world champion. Well, yeah, exactly. And they're going back with that little bit of a sentimental feeling before it all just comes tumbling down. And you're, you're starting to feel good and you're starting to relive all the wonderful things that Shawn Michaels did, super kicking everybody under the God's green earth. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, 
Look at that. Look at Vince. Look at look at the love with Vince and Sean. And enough of this sentimental crap. Vince is sick of it. He's done. He's sick of fucking being huggy kissy bear with Sean Michael. What a fun look it is. The corporation here with Shamrock, Bossman, Test, Shane McMahon. What a group of folks here. Especially knowing what we know now. Yeah, no kidding. And and the best part of <laughs> the best part about it is this is what's funny to me is this was during a time, at least backstage, where we could dress more casual. So you can always tell when Vince wasn't wearing the tie, that was during the casual era. And that even backstage we didn't have to wear the coats and ties anymore. And um I like that time. That was that was a Steve Austin contribution to the WWF. Of course, the rock here is sporting his Adidas tracksuit that it feels like he wore forever. Lots of rumor and innuendo about why he wrestled in a shirt all those years. Oh, it's just a couple months. Felt like years. You know, it, it, that, that's the funny thing is I think that because so much of that look was in so many big moments. And I think that it, it was even they used that look for one of the video games that's the one that you associate with him for a lot during this year. And of course, Mr. McMahon here is talking about firing Shawn Michaels last week and that, uh, there, there is never going to be Shawn Michaels gracing the WWF ever again. By God, he's gone as a reminder. You know, we're not too far removed from the rock bottom pay-per-view, which we recently covered here on the show. And how funny is that? Somebody's taped a sign to keep. Well, it's a Briscoe brothers body shop (laughs) advertisement. It's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. You got, you know, any opportunity to plug something. So, um, as a reminder though, we're on the heels of survivor series, 1998, which we just recently covered. And, and then we of course went into rock bottom, which we've also covered. And now this is the next show. So we're just on the heels of a big rock heel turn that left him the world champion at the end of survivor series. And now he's part of the corporation, which is clearly got their sights set on ruining stone cold, Steve Austin. We're going to be setting up WrestleMania 15 before you know it here, or it'll be rock and Austin number one in their trilogy of WrestleMania matches. But along the way, we're going to have an incredible I quit match at the Royal rumble, uh, the fun super bowl halftime show, the empty arena match with Foley and rock, all that still to come. Uh, and this was actually taped as we said in uh, December and Worcester Worcester. And of course, Shawn Michaels interrupting as Vince was talking about the whole thing with what happened last week where mankind had injured his boy, Shane. And he held Shawn Michaels responsible for that. But Shawn being barred, being fired, is now shown back up to interrupt the uh, obligatory weekly opening promo by God, which just seems to be a sin. So you see all the gold in the ring right now. The Rock is your world champion. Uh, We've got uh, two belts around the waist of Ken Shamrock there. Of course, one of those being a tag title with the boss man. And here's Shawn. With his black leather vest here to confront Mr. McMahon with DX music, by God, not even heartbreak kid music coming out to DX music. And, uh, 
He's back in DX. DX and Sean are back as one as of this evening, which was a, a nice, nice, good shock. And I, I got to say, I'll, I'll say this up at the top. I'll only say it once. But to me, with the exception of one thing in this show, is one of uh, the best shows Vince Russo was ever a part of. It was a great show. I mean, even Meltzer said so. Uh, he wrote, and you know, he he could be critical, as we know. Get out. S- said to be a great television show. And we're going to talk about just how successful this was, but check out DX here. The whole gang's here. Got the new age outlaws. You got China. You got triple H. You got X-Pac. Mr. Ass. I said the new age outlaws. I thought that he was part of them. That's my bad. No, no, no. I, I just, because we had that nice shot of Mr. Ass and he's always fun to say Mr. Ass. That's actually a name. Uh, yeah. Who booked yeah. that crap? Mr. Well, Ass. you know. And of course, Sean explaining here that while he may have been fired, uh, he did have a contract that's ironclad and that Sean is indeed back and that Sean is, uh, got a nice big surprise for Mr. McMahon tonight. And it's going to make him just stone cold sober. If, if you get my drift, because Steve Austin been gone during this time and kind of in and out and. But during this time, Steve was, Steve was on the shelf. So it's a nice little Christmas present to promote a, a stone cold surprise at the end of the night. And Sean didn't even stumble or stutter once here. Um, let's talk about stone cold. Well, we'll wait a little bit. I, I, I want to mention here that Meltzer would write, there's really no conclusive word on the condition of Steve Austin. He got a gastrointestinal attack while on a flight to England and was so sick that he had to cancel all of his promotional appearances and couldn't eat for four days. Luckily he had the week before the pay-per-view to rest and he was still recovering from the virus at press time, though he was able to eat regular meals by December 14th. The injury suffered in the pay-per-view match was to be examined on the 15th and there wasn't any speculation as to whether or not he could make or wrestle on the Chicago or Madison square garden shows. Uh, chat me up. What do you remember about Steve Austin getting sick on a flight to England here? He was sick as fuck. And I, the, here's what I remember about it more than anything was, was just Jr. being so defensive. Steve was sick. Steve was sick as fuck. And there was like no one that even questioned it because everybody saw him. He was, it, it was Steve still wanting to go on. But him being so sick, the doctors are saying, Steve, the only way you're going to get better and you're going to die if you keep going on, you need to go home and you need to relax and you need to do what the doctor tells you to do. And I think that uh, at some point, it might have been Russo or somebody had asked about would Steve, when would Steve be available? And I just remember Jim getting so pissed and, and, and like, God damn, he'd been pulling the wagon. How long has he got to pull the wagon and, and, and you want him to die? By God, by God, he's done everything. And he got to help him out here a little bit. Just, just fucking go with it. He's been sick. So before, you know, before this time, I mean, Steve, he just was sick as shit. And really he had worn himself down so much that he just needed to chill, do absolutely nothing and take care of himself for at least a few days, which trying to get Steve to do that sometimes was he's a stubborn son of a bitch and he didn't want to. I think Vince, I mean, not Vince, but, uh, Jr. felt that by Russo, even asking it was, it was that defensive. Well, damn, 
He ain't faking it. He's been pulling the damn wagon for so long. Y'all keep, keep load the wagon. Don't worry about the horses. And, and that was during this time, just like, yeah, Jim, we get it. No, everybody knows Steve's sick. If you were even around that at the time, you saw, man, he just, I think he just ran himself into the ground and got, got some bad food and it all took its course. Well, so there you go. You see, um, these guys are going back and forth about what's going to happen at the Royal rumble. And they've just announced here that Mr. McMahon is going to be the number two entrant at the Royal rumble. And, and of course he will go on to announce that stone cold, Steve Austin will be number one. So you kind of get, you, you, you get your, uh, come up and says on the way, baby. Well, yeah. And so it's a nice way of being able to advertise stone cold versus Mr. McMahon, a match by putting him in the Royal rumble. And, um, you know, which is going to be on our poll, one of the Royal rumbles. And as I was doing my homework, which I know you don't think I do, but I really and truly do, uh, going through my homework, I'm, I'm kind of going to backpedal on what I want for that poll. And I'm, I'm thinking that 99 is probably the one I want most now. Well, but, uh, the poll already happened. Thanks for watching. Um, 99 is going to win. And, uh, that's what we're going to be covering next here on something to wrestle. Of course we had teased and promoted that we were going to do a Saturday night's main event, watch along with Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy. And I'm sure we're still going to do that at some point in the month. And we'll throw it up there for you, but the people have spoken. Damn it. They want Royal rumble 99 next. That's what we're going to give you. So. Stay tuned next week, man. Royal Rumble 99 should be a good show. That's because that's the one I wanted. Yeah, I'm trying to make you happy. I knew what you wanted before <laughs> you knew what you wanted. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that that's going to be an awful lot of fun. And, and just talking about the way that this whole thing was put together, Sean's happy with himself. And uh, this was a time, you know, Conrad, where everything, everybody got the react, the desired reaction. And you had you had a sellout crowd here in, in Worcester, with a snowstorm taking place outside that would should have shut the town down, but people still came out in full force. And man, they were ready for it. They were ready for every single thing that we did. And it's always good when you got that kind of audience that buys everything you're selling them. I love these the, old graphics. These old graphics right here. This is what I think of when I think of Monday night raw, the nice. Yes. The, it was, it was good shit. Best production in, in the world, man. And then, uh, here we get off to the very first match with, uh, what do you think about this? Where shamrock's already in the ring, but then he goes to the back to turn right back around and come back out. Well, he was in the ring for a promo. Now he's coming out to compete. He had to prepare. That seems stupid. Fucking. Oh, so dumb. Uh, Why's that dumb? He didn't have an entrance. He just, he was already there. Hey, go to the back and turn around and come back. So we can play your music this time. No, he, the corporation was there. God, shut up. Ken so, Shamrock didn't have an entrance yet. It's dumb. No, uh, it's not dumb. Meltzer. Why is he going to stand out in the ring for three minutes? <laughs> My goodness. Uh, Meltzer wrote that there's really no update about the condition of Jr. As a reminder, he had a Bell's palsy attack and, uh, Meltzer would say it wasn't as serious as the one he suffered four years prior to this, but there was no timetable as to the recovery or when he'll be back on the air. 
He's suffering severe headaches, which result in periods of blurred vision. And about a week before his mother died, which is really what threw him into this situation on that same trip to England, his only uncle, which was his mother's brother had died as well. He's obviously close to both of these uh, people in his life. And now that added stress perhaps is what triggered the Bell's palsy attack. So it's the worst possible timing, um, for Jr. here. I mean, just a, a rough time. Fair to say? Oh, without a doubt. And as, as I stated before, man, I was with him when he found out about his mom in England. And the next day, there was, there was his Bell's palsy again. And your, your heart went out to him. And I know that a lot of times we make fun of JR on here. But, man, he's been a friend of mine for over 30 years. And we, we have our jabs that we go back and forth at each other with. But this was one of those times that your heart really went out to him, and I felt felt horrible for him because what 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 the hell can you do? And the ball the the balls just kept dropping. This show that we're watching, uh, the twenty year anniversary, would be tomorrow. It was taped on uh, December 29th, nineteen ninety eight. Um, they taped Shotgun Saturday night before this, where we saw Gangrel win with a squash. Um, animal and draws beat the, uh, or wrestled the acolytes. And we saw draws walk out and then the acolytes were DQ'd for double teaming animal. And then Hawk made the save and the fans were chanting LOD. It is sort of weird to think about. There was a time when the road warriors were on shotgun. What do you remember about this era legion of doom here and you guys were trying to just hang on to something and create something here right everybody was on shotgun that was during the time too that that shotgun was in major markets it was only in major markets on a saturday night syndicated show just because it was syndicated it was at that time it was the only syndicated property that we had so it was as important as raw especially at this time when it first began and and for the first couple of years really until it just became when we taped it like oh god how are we gonna how are we gonna get top guys to work both matches so um it was a big deal and you know big deal having dan severn out here in his beautiful neck brace dan severn you know dan severn i I will say this about dan first of all one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet but the other thing about dan is like i always tell rick flair rick flair without a doubt uh, the best dressed man in the wrestling business ever, but Dan Sever may be second best dressed. Listen to you. He was, he was always dressed to the nines, man. He was just, <laughs> he always looked, he always looked professional, no matter what environment you put him in. The some bitch looked professional. And Blackman and, uh, Blackman and Shamrock here, these guys trained together. They rode together. Um, they liked each other. It's probably one of the best matches, you know, the Blackman ever had <laughs> here, but Steve, you know, Steve had to have that right opponent and Steve had to have somebody that could do Steve stuff. And, uh, he and he and Shamrock here really gelled and it was good stuff. Allegedly this show was taped out of order. Uh, explain why you guys would have done that. Just sometimes as far as where the, the live show, uh, badass Billy Gunn coming in with the famouser, but depending upon where things fell in the show, if somebody closed, um, the live, the live show beforehand, you would just give them time to get changed and get dressed. So it, it was all dependent on that. 
It just I would go through and look and see what would make the most sense. So you taped- but still try to keep things in order. Well, that being taped out of order, I guess explains why he wasn't just waiting around in the ring because those two segments may not have even touched. They may not have, but still we would have taken him back. And the wonderful uh, Southwest Airlines Spirit Magazine, because when you're on Southwest Airlines Spirit Magazine, you breach the big time. What? How many times you been on Southwest Spirit Airlines uh, magazine? Oh my gosh! How about this commercial still being on the network? Little George Carlin. Gotta love it. I don't even remember, man. You know, ten, ten, two, twenty. Do you remember that shit? I, you probably don't even remember that. Yeah, wasn't that dial down the center? Yeah, something like that. And it was for long distance calls. I don't have a clue, but it was to save money. And, and you, you do the 10, 10, 20, and then you dial your number and it's, there you go. A dollar for 20 minutes, uh, in the back shamrock and Billy Gunn getting into it. And you could tell I didn't, uh, I didn't produce this. Why? Well, first of all, there would have been people in the background and it would have been a, a little more physical. One of my biggest pet peeves about shit in backstage area is that oftentimes when it's in a sterile environment, it'll look like shit. Bruce started to sound fucked up there, as you probably heard. So I hit pause and uh, he rebooted and we're going to get going again at 1902. Three, two, one, play. Wonderful Mick Kind by Mick Kind. That's what he should. You know what? That's a name we missed. No, I don't like it. Why not? I don't think, I don't think it works. How about, uh, grabbing Pat Patterson by the balls? Well, that's not the first time that Pat's been grabbed by the balls. And and I love that mankind actually makes reference to it, that, uh, it was a first time for him actually grabbing another man's testicles. And I, and, and I kind of liked it in a, in a manly kind of way. Just saying. And, and he also got to, he also talks about how that last week he was able to say, suck it without a please in front of it, which is one of my favorite lines. And he actually remarked his crowd popped on that. He kind of liked that one. Didn't you? <laughs> oh my God. Have you ever said suck it without a please in front of it? Yeah. Okay. I grew up in this era. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, Meltzer would, uh, give us an update on Steve Austin and say that he's off all the house shows until the Royal rumble as he needs to heal as completely as possible, because obviously he's got a major role in the show and he missed the tapings from the day before on the 28th, but he was here on the 29th because allegedly they were filming the WWF TV commercial for the super bowl. And he's a prominent part of it. So because he was already there for filming that. They went ahead and had him appear here, but that wasn't originally the plan. Can you confirm that, that he wasn't supposed to be here? And then that was done after the fact, once they realized, well, he's here filming might as well. As far as I remember, it wasn't originally the plan. The, the, the show was not written with Steve as a part of it. And I think that when Steve was in the area and he was doing better, it's like, why the hell not have him just come on out and do one thing. And he could definitely swing a chair. So why the hell not? 
Meltzer would say that wasn't the planned finish since Austin originally wasn't even supposed to be at TV, but when he flew in for the Super Bowl commercial taping, they asked if being involved in the title match finish wouldn't be possible. And of course he doesn't, which is sort of fun. And, and we'll get to, uh, all of that during that match. I'm sure. Uh, I love Foley. Then this is, you know, again, where, where shit just has its, it, it makes itself happen. Where Foley makes reference to people having the Foley as God. He says, I may not be God, but, but I'm pretty good. Yeah. And Mick is trying to set up the, the whole scenario, asking Vince for a match at the Royal rumble against the rock for the championship. And, He's got a new hobby, kicking McMahon family asses. And he just, uh, he, he does ask permission. He says, can I say ass on TV? Which I've done that before. I've, I've asked permission when I'm actually doing it. Like, fuck, can we say fuck on, t- on podcast? Yes. Okay. But I asked first. You did. Yeah. And, uh, Mr. McMahon coming out to, uh, but let him, letting him know that the corporation is right behind. That's right. Bruce is right there. If anything were to happen three time black belt hall of famer, pal, that would scare any man. Listen to you. Well, it would, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. As long as I got time to get my, get my boots off, man, shit's on. And I have time to stretch out and find somebody to fight for me. So McMahon is going to order a mankind versus triple H match here with Shane as the referee and the winner gets into the rumble. Sounds like a fair scenario. I mean, why the hell not? It's just, it it all, it all kind of makes sense. And, and, and this is, again, you know, I keep going back to just, sto- you know, you, you talk about storytelling and the entire evening having a theme. And the way this show started off with the corporation and being on top of the world and Sean coming out and kind of throwing a little bit of a monkey wrench in. But here here comes Mick again and, and weaving everything throughout the show. Um, it's... You know, I don't, I don't know that it's a technique that they're really using even today. I, I just think it's, it's sorely missed where it really is keeping you fine tuned. And maybe it's, maybe they can't do it with three hours and this is only two hours, but it was uh, definitely something that would keep people interested in the show and, and have a payoff at the end and this having the ultimate payoff at the end. Let's talk a little bit about, um, What's going on here? Sort of, uh, off television. You guys always run Madison square garden around Christmas. And that's no exception here. You ran it on the 26th, sold it out. Huge gate, 371,000 and change. Um, or Chicago rather was, those were the numbers for Chicago. The next day sell out again, the Madison square garden, 443,000, which are both house show records because you've changed prices, but a lot of people had to feel like they got gypped here because Austin's not on them. And I know you guys offered refunds, but you gotta feel a little bad when you set a record like this and the top star is not even there. Well, of course you feel bad anytime that you have to make a substitution. Uh, I believe Vince went out and, and made those shows as a substitution with 
which Vince normally wasn't on the house shows and it was a big deal. It was also, you know, that Christmas, that holiday week, which was huge business for us. And this was, I think, where am I? We're 1999. This may have been the first time that we didn't run Toronto on the 26th because for so many years, man, you could set your watch by it. It was, you had Christmas day and then you were in Toronto and then Detroit. And then you'd come back through New York on the backside after that, for that, that Christmas week. But for whatever reason, December 26th was always Toronto. And the thinking is, you know, it's two of your strongest towns and you're probably most likely to be able to sell out. And if that's where you got the most fanfare, why not position yourself in a market where people can give these tickets as Christmas presents, right? Sure, man. And, and the other, uh, and I don't know if this really ever even came into consideration. I used to use it as an argument. The 26th in uh, Canada is boxing day. So that is, that's just as big of a, a holiday as Christmas is for the Canadians. And so they also celebrate boxing day on the 26th. So you're getting your Christmas uh, show in Canada where it's a big holiday for them. And then we come back around right before the new year and hit New York. And uh, Detroit was always just one of those major markets, but I just think it was easy. You know what I mean? I think Ed Cohen always had December 26th. He would, when he would book Toronto, he would always book the gardens all the way through. Well, we got to have December 26th for whatever reason. And so I used to, yeah, I used to make that trip off and I'd be in Houston for Christmas and get on the plane. I'm usually gonna, Christmas night to Toronto. Probably going to get some hate for this, but boxing day is not nearly as big as Christmas. It is the Canadians. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's to connect. You're not Canadian. You're Alabamian. Oh my gosh. Well, here China is with her friend, Sammy. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Oh yeah. No, you got to because sexual chocolate coming out with the, with the bare white music and all just kind of sliding on down the ramp to let everybody know that, uh, sexy chocolate is in the house. By the way. As we're talking about sexy, I guess I should mention when you said that Vince was the replacement for Austin on those shows in Chicago and Madison square garden that set records, he not only brings himself in, but he does an arm wrestling match with mankind on both shows. And the idea is the winner gets to kiss Deborah McMichael in Chicago and Vince wins clean, of course, but then refuses to kiss Deborah. And the next day and MSG the winner gets to kiss Sable and Vince wins clean and then kisses Sable. Well, hell, I'd have kissed them both. Just let you figure out what's going on there. Burger King. Seriously. Now this to me, you no, know, I'm this... not going to let you just get right past that. When a guy fucking brings himself in, Oh, Austin's not in. I'll go. What should I do? I got an idea. Let me make out with Sable. Well, why not? If you're the boss, why wouldn't you listen to you? Well, wouldn't you? No. Yeah. Uh, bullshit. Well, he's eventually going to get sued for sexual harassment. Just throwing that out there. No. No, he did. Don't say no. He did. She sued him. And she didn't win. <laughs> she got some money though. Mm, that's what you think. Okay. Okay. 
So this during during this time, Sexual Chocolate was probably one of my favorite characters because it was probably the closest thing to Mark Henry of any character that he's ever had. Yeah, I mean he's joined us on a live show before and told us that he um was once caught well he may not want that show that that story on the air you should come to a live show when mark henry's there let me just say that yeah mark is mark is absolutely hilarious and it just was was one of those times when he was young and obviously this was before he was married sure and he just uh Mark lived the life of a successful young man on the road. Real title on that. Yes. And, and we, <laughs> and we used to just, just kind of call him. He, he got the nickname sexual chocolate backstage, which then was able to transform in front of the cameras and was wholly entertaining shit, which is what Goldust said when that forearm came across his back just a minute ago was holy fucking shit. Cause that's a strong, big forearm coming across you. Hey, let me, um, let me talk to you about the decision to put the belt on Foley here. Cause this is really why we're covering this one. Meltzer would write. When we received word ahead of time of the perspective change, it was said that this was because they were looking for a major counter for the Goldberg Nash match from the Georgia dome that would air head to head. Although the idea all along was for rock versus mankind at the rumble. And after the two pay-per-view meetings, it would have been somewhat stale without this change to jumpstart it. Austin hit rock with a chair and put mankind on top. And the show ended with mankind without his mask on doing the yo Adrian speech from the original Rocky movie. We're going to see all that here in a bit, but. This is a taped show. You're going to go up. What you know is a, a rematch from Starcade. It's going to be a big show. Do you feel like you need something here to counteract it? And that's the reason you do a title change because a lot of people would say, why are you doing a title change on a tape show? Is that the explanation? Well, I think it worked. First well, of all, of course, and it worked. when you're looking at, we were looking at doing all competitive as competitive as we could, man, we were in a war. So everything that we did, I, I would dare say Vince looked at every single show as he wanted to pull out every, if Vince could, he would want to pull out the stop on every single show he possibly could. And this was an opportunity to do just that. So it was, whether it was this week or next week or the week after, I think Vince looked at it as, uh, I'm doing everything that we can every week and whatever we have to do, whatever we do this week, we have to top next week. Well, and you're heading to Royal rumble, which is obviously going to be the show where we first see, um, the Mr. McMahon character involved in some physicality on a pay-per-view like this with Steve Austin. And that's going to set up the February show, but that thing is so hot that here we are weeks ahead of time from the Royal rumble. And it's completely sold out. It's going down on January 24th and it's totally sold out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the business, uh, this was just that hot time, man. And you'll see probably one of the, one of the greatest pops, which we've talked about before. Uh, you and I did the bonus show on, on that match. Just when, when Austin comes out later on in the night was absolutely incredible. You don't even have to have the, the volume up on <laughs> when you're watching it and you see one of the most insane pops you will ever see in the business. It, it is arguably the loudest pop in the history of the WWE. And 
There you see Sammy. You want to remind everybody what the payoff of the Sammy storyline is? Well, the, the whole story here at this time was Mark Henry being infatuated with China and they had gone out on a date and what have you. And Mark really wanted, uh, to have some China. So China had been coming out here and distracting Mark at different times, costing Mark matches and China now has introduced her friend, Sammy. Now the, the commentators and everybody else are very, very, um, careful to refer to Sammy just as China's friend and China coming into the ring after she's basically cost Mark the match by distracting him to give Mark an opportunity and, you know, something that, that just everyone dreams of, don't they, Conrad, of, of being able to, um, well, here she, she explains to Mark that their time together was, was much greater than she had ever imagined, but she lets Mark know that he's just way too much man for one woman. Oh, and, and she wants to introduce him to her friend, Sammy. And she ends it with, with the line that, as you'll see, Mark Henry will, will faint from. Um, she says, and if you'll allow us, my friend Sammy and I, well, we could help you take a load off your mind. And that just knocks Mark Henry flat on his back, as you're going to see here in a second. Cause, well, so Sammy, I'm sexual chocolate. Mark Henry, Mark wow. Henry here, sexual chocolate. And that's one sexy man right there. Mark Henry. That's oh yeah. Who are you referring to? Well, yes, of course I am. And so as the story would go on, Mark would, uh, make his move on Sammy to discover good Lord. You've got a penis. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe you just got the finish there and fainted. Who knows? That's one of the best bumps Mark's ever taken. What are you doing right now? What? What? I told him that that night. What, what are you trying? Uh, who greenlit this Sammy idea? Oh God. There, there, I said one thing and here, help me, please help this, me. This is the way we all feel. trying to watch three hours of raw every Monday. Chained up in a dungeon. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, it happens. Oh, so we go right from Sammy to the Godfather. This is peak attitude era right here. You gotta love it. And this is happy Godfather. My favorite wrestler of all time. Is he your favorite wrestler or just your favorite guy? He's my favorite guy of all time. Okay. Uh, well, there's a chance, man. You might even see him this next week or so. Well, that's the plan. I'm planning on looking him up. Maybe, maybe we'll have, uh, well, I know have him do. out to dinner one night. I know what we're going to do. What? Kumbaya. Yeah. <laughs> Kumbaya. Uh, what, the, what started that? Well, you and I and Godfather had not slept in days because our schedule was all thrown off, but we couldn't do anything. We we're just in a different town in a little tiny backstage area, just staring at each other, waiting on 
uh, chicken to be delivered from Cody. <laughs> and, uh, we just were a little punchy and then we started. It to was sing. last night too, wasn't it? We started to sing and yeah. then the other person sang and then another person sang and then we just made up our own lyrics and nobody thought it was funny, but us three and well, roll time. Yeah, but we thought it was hilarious. You guys go ahead and make jump to your own conclusions there. But the Godfather, Conrad, and Bruce were on a roll. We were the most entertaining threesome by God in that locker room that day, ever. So Test here, who has uh, been positioned as the hired gun, uh, the former Motley Crew bodyguard, now he's with the corporation, is all of a sudden a wrestler, and Test is the gimmick here. It's going to be challenging Godfather. Let's talk. You know about, how you know how he came up with the name Test. Um. Well, I, I'd rather hear your version. Well, no, the version was was because since he was a roadie for Motley Crue, we actually had him travel with them for a little bit, and we made him go. We made him go out on the microphone, and he would always go. The only thing he did was go out and go test, 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 test. And so Sean Michael said, well, I think he's just letting everybody know what his name is. Test, test. And he became test. I'm sure somebody made a joke that maybe it was short for something else. Well, a lot of people made that joke, but it was just funnier the other way. I'm not arguing that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, the, uh, the decision to have the title change here and go to mankind. Of course, a few years prior to this, you're having to campaign. And so is Jay. Everybody is to Vince that this guy deserves a chance and should be brought in. And supposedly he wants nothing to do with it and even agrees to do it just to show you guys what it feels like to have high hopes for something that doesn't work out and then demands that you cover him with a mask. And now he's going to be the champion. Uh, tell me about how this, uh, I mean, how did Vince come around and, and, and how was he with the decision to make him the champ? Is this a, a Vince Russo idea or, or how does this, how does mankind get this opportunity after him being so sour on him to start with? Well, first of all, the, the mask thing, that was a combination of both Jim Ross and my ideas is a way to soften that pitch to Vince a little bit since he didn't like the face. Okay. Well, you cover up a face, man. That's easy to do, but the the bell rang and you saw every single night mankind was going out and stealing the show, no matter the opponent. And Vince seeing what he did with undertaker, seeing what he did with Sean and seeing how, no matter what situation you put him in, he excelled. So it was again, here was mankind who he had had as part of the, uh, you know, dad and all that shit with Austin prior to this. The audience loved him. I mean, the audience fell in love with him and they, they kind of felt, you know, he's not, he's not the stereotypical guy. It was perfect. I mean, it really was perfect. If you were to ask and, and poll anybody in the locker room, who did you think was more deserving of that championship? I think to the man, everybody would have told you Mick Foley was and the audience felt the same way. It's pretty cool to see DX back together here and. It would be written in the observer that one of the reasons that they did the Shawn Michaels babyface turn is they knew he would have to have surgery on his back. And because he's going to be undergoing that surgery in a few weeks, 
they needed a way for him to sort of have an issue and go away and come back with a big baby face return. They don't think that'll happen by WrestleMania if ever, but since he's going to have to have surgery and be away anyway, why not let him come back as a baby face? Is that the idea? Exactly. Exactly. And, and give him a reason to be away. And frankly, I think a lot of it was just hope on our part that after the surgery, he would come back and wrestle. He would come back and be a competitor in the ring by doing the, the physicality angle and doing that big angle. It gave him something to come back for, um, anyway that he came back, but deep down, at least on my side of it, it was shit. You know, it gives him reason to come back as a competitor. Maybe get, maybe get that one last match out of him. We see uh, Shane McMahon here in the stripes. He's getting ready to referee this match here. Winner gets a WrestleMania. I'm sorry, a Royal rumble spot. So triple H versus mankind is going to be the match we're going to see here. And obviously we know they're going to go on to have a series of incredible matches. I do want to touch on something that was in the, uh, observer that I've always been fascinated with. And it's, you guys sort of flirting with the idea of doing real mixed martial arts type stuff. And of course we know that we're on the heels of brawl for all, which was definitely in the book of bad ideas, but allegedly you guys were in talks of having Bart Gunn take on tank Abbott, who was, uh, notable from his UFC fame. And we know is eventually going to wind up in WCW. But Meltzer would say those plans have fallen through because you felt like tanks asking price of $55,000 was too high. So you like the idea of him doing matches with opponents who have UFC style backgrounds and chemo's name comes up. Of course, Butterbean is who we're going to eventually see who else were you talking with? And do you remember the tank Abbott discussions? I do remember the tank Abbott discussions. It was. Uh, yeah, he was, he was high. And the other one was, the other one was chemo, but chemo, same thing. His price was high, but chemo wasn't a businessman. Chemo was during his time that he had, um, found religion again. And it was uh, trying to do business with him was challenging at best. Um, I wanted to do, uh, Vitor Belfort. Vince didn't see anything in him. We, we talked about, you know, just some different guys that were, that were hot at the time, but we had Shamrock, we had, uh, Severn and Vince thought the crown jewel in UFC and in MMA at that time was Ken Shamrock and thought that we had him. It's like, we don't need anything else at the time. Uh, Belfort was only, I think 19 during that time. And he was. I don't know. He wasn't the guy, but he had a great look and he had a pretty damn good attitude as well, but he was more interested in continuing his MMA stuff. I could have seen Vitor Belfort as the WWF champion at that time. Oh, that's what I was pushing for. Let's bring him in in a big way. And it was also during the time that Vince was thinking about, do we just go out and do we buy the UFC? And that's during the time that we started talking to Meyerowitz and, and at least open that door to see if there was any interest on their part, which there was, but it just never, just never really came to fruition. Vitor was 21 here, but it is interesting to hear that you like the idea of Vitor being WWE champion because at different times, he has certainly looked like a professional wrestler. That's for sure. Yeah. He was bilingual and he had a great look. 
he was a tough son of a bitch, but just the fact that he, he spoke, he spoke really well and he just had that look, man. And, and girls went crazy for him and guys, uh, thought he was the toughest son of a bitch in the room. So he had it all, but just didn't, you know, he wanted to be an MMA guy. Let's talk and now he's go ahead. Get it, Bruce. No, I, I just, I was going to talk about, I was just going to talk about the fact that, you know, just one of many and looking at triple H and mankind in here and how many times we see different variations of this match through the years. And essentially this is a baby face, baby face match. It is. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit, they're, they're still tearing it down. And, and both guys and baby face, baby face match. Both guys are working like heels, which I love. Let's talk about, um, the, the weather, because this show of course is going to air on January 4th and we know what's happening on the other channel. And we're going to talk about that soon enough, but you wind up having to cancel three house shows the weekend prior to January 4th. You had a show in Detroit on the second that you'd have to cancel and then a double shot on the third in grand Rapids and South bend all because of horrible weather. And you almost never hear about you having to cancel a show because of weather What's the, uh, what's the protocol and what's that process look like when that has to happen? The protocol is state of emergency. And if the state tells you, you can't run, then you got to cancel your shows. Okay. Um, that's the protocol and Shane McMahon with his fast little count there. But if, if the, um, if the roads are, are such, but really Vince's protocol is state of emergency. And government comes in and says, Hey, we're declaring it a state of emergency. Then we're not going to run. Even though one time in Baltimore, he, he figured that he goes, well, if people are already on their way, they're going to be pissed if we cancel. Despite the fact that all over the building, emergency sirens are going off. (laughs) State of Maryland has declared emergency. Evacuate the building. So yeah, state of emergency. That's about it. Otherwise, if you get you get a ring there and you can get guys in the building, you're going to have a show. How fun is it to see Triple H do a pedigree on Shane, knowing what we know now? Gotta love it. But here's my favorite part is is just the the simplicity of of what Mick does next, and he even makes comment of the originator of of this little move here. And he talks about how he was taught this move by Jim McGonagall. And it's the old McGonagall, uh, arm bar there that he places Shane in as we hear Shane screams and his father begging mankind, you son of a bitch, let him go. Um, and Mick is, Mick is just, reconsidered. He, he doesn't want a match with rocket Royal rumble. He wants one tonight for the title. And this is the, the, the issue that also happens with Pat Patterson, <laughs> um, whom I love to death, but Pat loved to have Gaga in matches. And, and a lot of times they would have a match and Pat would just add all this Gaga. And I would look at him. I say, Pat, uh, why, why isn't that a DQ? Why isn't that a count out? Why isn't that, you know, he says, ah, fuck 
it. Make it a no DQ. Make it a no cap. Who the fuck cares? And so Mick made it a no DQ match in here so we could just have a lot of Gaga. What a fun, I mean, it's a, it's a fun storyline. It's well done. And I'm glad that you're giving Russo some props because boy, his fucking minions have been after us these last two weeks with the shit Why is that? on the show. We always give him props when props are due. Yeah. But that whole rock thing, ugh, I'm just, I never want to talk about it again. What whole rock thing? Nothing. I didn't say anything. I didn't even know what you're talking about. This is a great show, and Vince Russo did a great job on it. Ah, fuck Vince Russo. Oh, it's back again. Well, no, I mean, we always give him credit when credit is due, and that and that's bullshit. So the the rock thing is exactly what it is, and uh, if he wants to dispute it, then he's a liar and fuck him. Who, who in their day was a bigger partier, Shane or Jerry? Oh God, Jerry by far. Jerry Briscoe, for God's sakes. And Rock making his presence known. And, and what the hell are you doing? The Rock's not even dressed to compete tonight. Look at me. I don't even have my gear on. This is all I've got. Rock's not here. I know it's your goddamn son, but I'm the Rock. Those little things, you know, picking it up on the camera and commentators laying out. They're little things that, you know. That when you watch the two shows, WCW and our show, that, that was the difference. It was those little nuanced things. Fast count by Shane. Talked to him by Brother Love. Somebody should have showed Nick Patrick how to do that. Really? Yeah. Is he not a good fast counter? I know, Hogan thought he was fine at it. Oh, okay. I, was, I always loved whenever somebody was getting ready to take a pedigree, they'd get kicked in the stomach <sighs> and they'd bend down and then their arms would just shoot up behind their back. Just automatically drove me absolutely insane in the worst, absolute worst at it. Razor Ramon. He would throw his arms up. Oh my God. And, and, and then are you and every time? And I think that, you know, uh, at the end, because I bitched about it so much, he would do it even more pronounced. Yeah. Just to piss you off. Yeah just so he would hear about it when he came back. And then he would just say, I don't know, man, it's just a reaction. You know, you get kicked in the gut and you bend over immediately. Your arms go up like that to sell. It's a natural sell. <laughs> and it was, yeah, that's, that's naturally what you would do when you get kicked in the gut and bend over as you throw your arms up. Let's take uh, a minute here and answer some questions on Twitter. If you'd like to participate in our shows, it's easy. We post uh, pictures of whatever we're going to be covering every week on Twitter and say, Hey, got a question? Here you go. And uh, it's at Pritchard Show on Twitter. If you haven't already, throw us a follow there. And maybe we'll ask your question next week when we cover Royal Rumble 1999. Brian Scala says, why did the title flip-flop so much here between November 98 and March 99? Why not give The Rock the title at the Rumble and keep it on him until Mania? Keep people guessing. Anything can happen at any time. Uh, wrestle with Andy wants to know is Austin's pop on this show, the loudest in company history. I think that it, it, it will go down probably as when you declare pops, the pop, that's the pop. That's, I mean, Jesus, that was insane. Little Donnie key wants to know why did the rock wrestle in a tracksuit during this period? Couldn't he have just done the whole D'Lo chest protector gimmick instead? Because he liked the tracksuit. 
That's he, why. Does he have a conversation with you guys about the surgery he's going to have? I think everybody knows that he had surgery done on his pecs. Um, and you can see at different times when he's wrestling in the shirt, when the shirt would move, that he's got bandages on his chest. So aesthetically, he's trying to improve himself, but that's a process. He doesn't want to miss the shows. He's the champ. So he's still here, but he's got to have a compromise. And the compromise is to wrestle in this shirt. Uh, who does he have a conversation with about that? God, I think he had a conversation probably with Vince, but he had a conversation with quite a few of us. And that was his decision. It was elective and wasn't something that was necessary. And it was something that he could wrestle with. So something he wanted to do that he, he felt strongly about more power to him. Great question from Mike Jones. Who? Uh, he says, when did Mick Foley know he was becoming champion and was his initial reaction even more emotional than what we saw in raw that night? I believe it was that night. Uh, he may have known a few days ahead of time, but I think it was that night and he was, he was honored. I mean, that's a, to guys like Mick Foley and, and me and people that have grown up in the wrestling business, that's a big deal. And it's, it's a prop. It's, it is all the things that it is. You don't win it, but still being asked to carry it for a while. It, it is a big deal. Uh, Mike Sarge Riley, great friend of the show wants to know, was this the most important moment in raw history up until this point, in your opinion, to me, the most, uh, at this time I would go back to the whole Tyson thing, but this was, this was pretty cool moment. The, the turning point for us was, was having Tyson appear and doing that angle with Austin. Uh, Rachel, and we're going to talk about this a lot. Wants to know, when did you hear Tony's butts in the seats comment? Of course, she's referencing Tony Schiavone giving the spoiler on nitro, which we're going to break down. But when did you first hear it? Did you hear it that night or after the fact, when did you know about it? Uh, I probably wouldn't have known about it till sometime the next day at best. Interesting. Well, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like we went back and, and nobody was watching you didn't uh, watch nitro it. with the sound on. I sure as fuck wasn't. Well, no, but he, he, let me make this clear. This is a tape show. So you know, what's going to happen here. You weren't watching nitro live when it happened. No. Okay. I'd always, I'd all, usually almost always watch raw Even if it was on taped. tape when I'd get back in the office. I mean, nitro. Okay. Uh, Greg says, this is the only time I can remember the rock taking an unprotected chair shot to the head. Was that done as an homage, an homage or tribute to Mick in order to make the win look nicer? God, I've seen rock take a lot of headshots. Uh, uh, RJ wants to know, was there any other, uh, time that Foley was considered to win a title before this? Uh, so he'd been in some matches before. Of course he had a string of matches right after the WrestleMania win, uh, by Steve Austin. And those were on pay-per-view. Of course, was this the only time his name was ever even considered? For the world title that you remember up until this point. Yeah. And he was red hot as a baby face here and it was a good timing. Uh, Ross wants to know who was running gorilla this night. I was, what was your reaction when the Austin pop happened? Goosebumps. It's just so cool to hear that and feel it. It, it was just goosebumps. And now I told you about, you know, the parts of this show that I really hated. And this is the part of the show. One of the parts of the show that I just extremely hated. So I hated this angle with, with Terry Runnels. Um, I hate this spot. 
I hate everything about it. So in case you're not watching Val Venus, uh, I'm sorry, not Val Venus edge is wrestling, uh, D and Terry's just come down to the ring to confront D And when D makes his way towards her, she tries to step off the steps and falls lands on her stomach. And now Jackie's down to try to help her. A referee's trying to help. Delo's looking con- concerned. And the story here is that Terry was pregnant. But when she fell here, now, of course, everyone is concerned with the quote unquote baby and she's holding her stomach. Yeah. Noah Kirby writes in whose idea was the Terry, Terry Ronald's miscarriage. And what did she think of it when presented the option? Um, I don't know what, what her reaction was, but it was Russo's idea. And I just, it was an attempt to bring reality, more reality and more soap opera into it. I just, there, there is a level of, I just hate it. There's, there's no, you can't have a baby unless it's a hand and there's no payoff to it. The only payoff is this, which I think is just tasteless. I don't like it. And that's me personally. That's, that's my feeling. And some people may love it. Some people may hate it. I hated it. It is weird when you think about this same show where mankind's going to win the world title is where we see Sammy and a miscarriage and Austin comes back and DX and Shawn Michaels are back together. There's just a lot going on on the show. There sure is. And that was part of it that was part of the feel man always just shit moving all the time and drama and goddamn suspense every everything on everything on the screen had a story to it everybody had an issue everybody had an antagonist so it was it was just constant um constant storytelling not always good storytelling but constant she leaves on a stretcher crying and they replay it And as not only is she quote unquote pregnant, but we've got to get the obligatory thong and panty shot, which is, I mean, it's just many skirts (sighs) and thongs and panties. Isn't that what all pregnant women wear? And I love now check this out. Okay. The the doctor is now checking her out. Okay. Dr. Francois Petit, who is a kinesiologist. I love how he takes the things out of his ears, but watch, he's still going to continue to listen. (laughs) He's still moving the stethoscope around like he's listening to having a conversation with her. He was a kinesiologist. He was a chiropractor, but I don't think he was actually, I don't know. He interesting guy. And they're saying, oh, King, this is tragic. It is. It was tragic. That part is true. Extremely tragic. But what's not tragic is Shane McMahon and the corporation coming down and the walking billboard. I love watching Pat Patterson on kind of making the faces behind Kane's back and Jerry Briscoe, making sure his, his sign is all set there on Kane's back. Briscoe brothers body shop. It's worth the drive. Unbelievable. (laughs) Let's talk about something else that's pretty unbelievable. Time magazine has a poll up online this year where they're trying to take votes for the man of the year and Mick Foley fucking won. Chat me up. Well, why wouldn't he win? 
that just shows, I mean, that again, that's a testament to, to the power, to his popularity and to the power of that audience. I think so many times people discount the, that wrestling audience, man, they're loud, they're vocal and they're loyal. And that's what I love about them. Love them or hate them, whether they love you or hate you, they're passionate and they're vocal. So I think that's pretty good shit. Now, Shane, of course, is, is introducing the two, uh, people that will now take on Kane to teach him a lesson Wayne, And this was my favorite part weighing in at 420 pounds, uh, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. And the reason for this is because by God, they allowed Shane to get damaged earlier. And daddy's going to come out and explain to them that, uh, that they have to do this. Cause he, he said, everyone would pay by God. You're all going to pay. Even you, Patterson. This was during Vince's Italian suit days, all the double-breasted stuff. How did uh, how did Vince feel about? We know how he felt about it early in in like '95, when and maybe even early '96, when Bischoff was giving away raw spoilers on Nitro because Raw's taped and you guys are live. But now you guys are winning. And he's still giving away spoilers this time through Tony Schiavone. Does his opinion change at all since you're winning? Oh, we appreciated it. So, and, uh, you know, here we got Kane and, and the stooges with Pat offering cigarettes to Kane because he's obviously carries around a lot of fire, but no, man, it, it's, it was more at that time for however few people were still watching nitro it was, it was more people reminding them that, Hey, Raw's taking place on the other, uh, on the other channel. Thank you. And even at whatever Pat is here, he's got to be in his late fifties. There still gets his ass up for a hell of a choke slam. Jerry's little wee wee right in the post. Wait a minute. Why are you talking about a man's no, no. Well, because it's what Kane just did. Kane just like spread his legs and ran his wee wee right into the thing. Everybody's got one. Well, not everybody. Sammy has one. Well, uh, which of, uh, this is from PD on uh, Twitter. Which of Foley's four faces did you love the best? Dude, love cactus Jack mankind or just Mick Foley. I loved Mick Foley. I loved Mick Foley because he, it was pretty much, you could get all of those. And then second would probably be mankind with Paul bear, but they were all equally great. I thought they were all pretty good, but my favorite was, was Mick is Mick, uh, followed by dude. Love. I'm not dude. Love uh, mankind with Paul bear. And then cactus and, and cactus in the ECW days when he was hardcore. The little speech that mankind gives after the show, is that scripted or is that just freestyling? No, we knew he was going to do that. Yeah. He wanted to, he wanted to do the yo Adrian spot. Can I cut a promo? Fuck. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you think Michael Cole was doing here? 
filling in for JR. Those are some big shoes to fill. They were. I think Michael Cole is actually a very good play-by-play guy, and he was a good play-by-play guy here. He was better. <laughs> uh, to me, I think he's better without anyone in his ear. I think Michael's good when Michael can can just go out and feel and call the action. But when he's heavily scripted and told what to do, it's it's brutal sometimes. Because Michael's a pretty damn good play-by-play guy in my book. And here we see the early incarnation of the APA, the Acolytes, coming to take Midian away, and uh, everybody needs head. What the hell happened to Head's head? Head's head. That's fucked up. Head lost its head, or its hair on its head. Well, you don't want any hair in your head. What are you, a flare? Well, I'm just... That's a gagged head too. You want your head gagged, hairless and gagged. Sounds familiar. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, that's kind of why I threw it out there. And what, what does the head say on it this time? Can you read that Conrad? There yeah, he is the D O double G the hardcore champion. And everybody wants some head. Now, you know, say what you will, and, and I'm a I'm not a big fan of hardcore matches and, and I I dislike uh, a lot of the extra gaga and bullshit. These two guys I thought had an excellent match and did everything they did was pretty safe. So and it was extremely entertaining. I don't like all the goo all over Al Snow's shirt. Why does he have that goo on his shirt? And under every ring, you should always <laughs> you should always have a, a cookie sheet because you just like want to bake some cookies or reheat something. That's the best. And, and here's here's the other part that gets me is is today that these tables. Um, if you know what the hell you're doing and you know how to take a table, the table's going to break for the most part, but uh, everywhere now, everybody's got to score their tables to, to make sure they break. And I guess for safety, it's probably best. So just still kind of shake my head at the tough guys today that don't just be, think they're tough. Don't be that fucking guy. I'm going to be that fucking guy today. How many tables you go through motherfucker? 42. I stopped at 42 though. That was it. Pussy. Well, sorry. I went through 43 today. Well, that's why you're Conrad. Got three podcasts, went through 43 tables. Scored them all though. Cause I care about safety. <laughs> oh, see. God. And then for the assholes that would say, oh, the table was obviously gimmicked when it wasn't. Part that's the other part that pisses me off, damn it. So, um, Meltzer would write this WWF itself on its online site heavily publicized the fact the title change was taped and would air. So, they felt that fans being told in advance the title change was taped and was going to appear would boost their ratings on a very competitive night. Of course, this is happening not only when 
Goldberg and Nash are having their Starcade rematch at the Georgia Dome, but it's also the college football championship game. All three of these are head to head. This is sort of interesting to me because Meltzer would write during the show on two occasions, the chimpanzees running WCW told Shivani to say that raw was taped and that Foley would be winning the title on the opposition show. So don't switch channels. Nitro was beyond awful. He was telling people there's a world title change. that's going to happen on the other channel who runs this circus. He also knocked Foley laughing about a company that would make him champ, which isn't going to help Shivani's rep with wrestling fans. Since Foley is so universally respected. WWF shot back when they heard what was being said, since even though the show was taped, the commentary is done live and said they weren't going to present a main event that starts two minutes before the show and goes off the air and consists of nothing but walking and talking. So somebody is doing the the commentary here live. You're not producing the commentary live. You don't think? No, no. Vince was. By the Vince way, was there in the studio, probably Vince and Kevin Dunn, but, uh, they would have, they were the ones that were always there live. I was there. I just let them do it because it's <laughs> Vince is there. It doesn't matter. What, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Did you talk to Foley about Shivani's comments? Because I know they hurt his feelings. I know he called Shivani and tried to talk to him about the comments. No, not that I, not then I have subsequently over the years. And I think that they did hurt his feelings initially, but after a while, I think that he was vindicated in the rating that came back and the end result after everything was all said and done. And I, I know you'll, you'll scream bullshit, but there was a bigger concern with the national championship than there was with nitro. As far as we were beating, we were beating them on a regular basis at this time. I mean, there was no looking back. Yeah. We were beating you, you, them with tape shows and live shows. So if there was any, concern as to what else was on TV. It was the national championship more than, more than nitro. So when you're planning this title switch, you know, we're up against a big match on nitro and the national title game. We need a big show. Let's pull out all the stops. Really didn't give a shit. What was on nitro. Uh, wouldn't have had that, but we did have like the big games and things like that. You had national championships, super bowl, and you always had the Monday night, uh, football schedule. You had the whole football schedule that was always in our books. So you knew what markets, uh, had were hosting who was at home and you didn't want to run events there. Um, or you didn't want to be there if they were playing a big team, shit like that. But your national championships, your big games like that, we would program against that and keep that in mind. Uh, that was for house shows and, and television. Meltzer would write the WWF solidly won the title match head to head battle as most of mankind and rock did a 5.9 to the Hogan Nash match only doing a 4.6 WCW did gain a slight bit of moral satisfaction because of its overrun. When Goldberg showed up. It picked up the ratings to a 6.5 while the Steve Austin run in and title finish and post-match celebration fell to a 5.1. However, the WWF won all eight quarter hours with WCW only coming close for the quarter where Nash and Flair were out there setting up the Nash Hogan match. And then Hogan returned with his first interview doing a 5.1 while the WWF did a 5.2 for Godfather versus test. The biggest advantage point was a 6.2 for the match you're watching right now, road dog and Al snow. And that was up against diamond Dallas page and Brian Adams, which did a 4.1. And it came immediately after Eric Bischoff ordered Tony Schiavone to give away the title change and emphasize it. 
while WWF was going to win the ratings handily either way, based on viewing patterns, it appears that that announcement led to approximately 375,000 homes switching to raw, which is exactly the opposite of what it was designed to do and exactly what anyone with half a brain would have predicted it would do. Your thoughts? Well, I I happen to agree with that. You know, I go back and I think about (laughs) how competitive those times were and reactionary a lot of times that things would be that had. Could you imagine what the fuck would have happened if we were able to know what the rating was at any given time live? Can you imagine if, if they actually had that? And there was a deal on direct TV many, many years after this, where on direct TV, you could see how many people were tuning in and how many people were tuning out of your program live as it took place. They don't do it anymore, but, uh, they did. You could see that. And of course that's only for direct TV. So it's just a sampling of the audience, but it did give you an idea of if you had a bunch of people tuning out, where they were going during the commercial breaks and when they were coming back. So I think back, if God, if you had the ability to know, okay, wait a minute, people are watching this match. They're tuning out. God damn it. Do something else. That's how crazy it would have been. If they would have known ratings live is all this shit was taking place. I couldn't imagine what Vince would do and how he would overanalyze that kind of shit. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the whole announcement because Tony Schiavone has gotten a ton of shit for a long time because of that, that call, huh? That's going to put some butts on the seats. And Meltzer even said a week after the ire addressed at Schiavone should be ridicule addressed at Bischoff for calling the shot. And most people believe that Bischoff told Tony to make that call, but in reality, it was Annette Yothers delivering a message from Eric Bischoff. She comes down to see Tony at ringside and says, Eric wants you to shit on cactus winning the belt. And he said, what do you mean? And she said, Eric wants something you to say something that their show's taped and cactus is going to win the belt. So just really shit on it. But the whole butts in the seats line specifically is Tony freestyling, but the order to shit on it came directly from Bischoff through Annette Yothers. Did you ever talk to Eric about that decision? Because a lot of people would say that that finger poke of doom and you know, everything that went with it creatively, plus this whole butts on the seats thing was really the beginning of the end. I think it was, I mean, the, the end was coming anyway. It was on the downhill slope regardless at that time, they, they just weren't doing anything to take the momentum back the other way. When you look at all the decisions at that time, Eric has to, has to take it all. I mean, if he was the one that was making the decisions and he was the one that was making the final approval for whatever matches and finishes were going on. And if he was the one delivering me, it's not a net Yoder's decision. That's of course not. the fuck. Now you're, you're killing the messenger. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, but that. no, I'm, I'm saying that to even, to even suggest, well, it was the net Yoder's that, that gave it to him. And it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a note sent by Eric and it was delivered by Tony. And if Tony had the leeway in how he was going to deliver it, then maybe he, 
not the best decision and how he delivered it. Not the best. Uh, well, but that's my thing is if, if the order from Annette is Eric says shit on it, what's he supposed to say? What, what could he have said? I think, uh, again, you can say a whole lot of things. It's give me an example that, but, but at that, you can say exactly what he did. You can say anything along the lines of, uh, cactus Jack used to be here and, and demean him that way, whatever they want to do. My point is Tony was doing what he was told. Tony has a job as, sure. as a commentator and he's going to follow the orders of the executive producer. So, uh oh, we're back from commercial. Shawn Michaels was locked out of the building accidentally. And we come back and he is strewn out across the hood of a car, the windshield of a car. The EMTs are here to scrape him off. Moments ago, he's trying to get into his vehicle, realizes he's locked out. Can't get back in. Bastard. That's well, a one way door. See, they automatically lock. Oh, man. Boss man's back there with Tess and the rest of the corporation and the camera catches them making the initial attack, but we don't see the beat down, but we see the aftermath with Sean left laying here, hood of a car. Well, the camera got taken out in that whole melee. You can hear it still going on. So, you know, that melee is still going on and what have you. And Sean's face buried into the, uh, into the car there. I think that was Howard Finkel's car. No, I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't Howard's car. Not this time. Nine Marines have beat the hell out of it. No, it was the corporation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you got to wonder because DX is the one that sent him out there with the wrong set of keys. Let's mention that, uh, Sean is, uh, I know he said it earlier, but he's actually going to get that back surgery on December 12th. So this show was taped on the 29th of December. So just about two weeks after this, he's going to be getting that back surgery. And this is the way we write him off. It's a good way. So nice the, and bloody. The, uh, the shows here, this is directly from the observer. The shows peaked in the overrun with a combined 11.6 rating, the quarter hour combined for a record audience of 8,099,000 homes, which was set between 10 and 10, 15. When raw had triple H versus mankind with Shane as the ref and the Terry Runnels angle of 5.7 rating. Going against WCW, which had Conan versus Steiner and a TV title bout for a 5.07 or a combined 10.77 rating. These records are actually mind-blowing when you figure that these shows both went against the Fiesta Bowl that determined the college football national championship, which did an incredible 17.18 rating and a 26.4 share. Numbers considerably higher than Monday Night Football was drawing in that same time slot, which is pretty crazy because... We know that football is certainly going to hurt the wrestling rating. What could it have been if there wasn't a championship game? It's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. And the, there weren't plus threes then either. And it wasn't taken into consideration. I don't think we even had DVRs at that time, taking into consideration people taping it now and watching it later. Damn college football bullshit. And now, by God, Mrs. Foley's baby boy, Mankind, making his way to the ring. You know, Mick was very devoted to this. He never washed that shirt. More would get torn. He, he kept it nice and dirty and, and as filthy as could be. It's good for business. 
Mick rolling in by God into the moment that will change his life forever as DX makes their way to ringside. Just letting everybody know by God, shit's going down and it's going to happen. Are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. I'm, I'm watching. Checking. The, I'm watching the show, bro. Well, we got a comment on the show too, because now you smell what the rock is cooking by God. And this shit, man, you know, even going back and looking at it, rock coming out here and he's got everybody behind him. Cause they just got through whooping Shawn Michaels ass. And you know, again, he is a viewer. Thank you, Tony Schiavone. Thank you, Eric Bischoff. And, and I'll thank Eric because again, it's telling everybody tune over, go over and see what the hell they're doing on the other channel. And we've got all the top guys at the ring right now. Right. And there's a guy by God's getting ready to put asses in seats because Foley and mankind are both God and they're good. Good shit. The rock, the most electrifying man in the entire business at this point in time. Second only to the guy that's going to come out and probably that guy right there, mankind. And baby, we're all doing what he does best. Get that title up so everybody can see it, baby. Show the mankind. Let him see what it look like. This is what it's all about right here. And God, Shane looks young, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. So, folks, this is what it's all about. So, at what point does WCW tell everybody to to tune over? Do they do, do they do it now? Well, we're just starting the match. Hello. No, I mean they 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 said it. We covered this a minute ago. They they said it well, um, just before uh, the DX, not the DX, but the uh, Mankind. Triple H. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The, um, the hardcore match we just saw in the middle of that, which got a 6.2 rating. That's when they told everybody and they switched over. So the announcements already happened. The whole butts in the seats line has already happened. Well, again, and you know, shit, that's good. I like that because I think that the, you know, people have a choice and going back, even looking back at the ratings and I know. Eric and I have talked about this several times. Vince and I have talked about it. And I think a lot of people have, have analyzed those ratings a lot of different ways. When they talk about that QM rating of, of a 11 and 12s and things like that, I'm not sure that that audience was really that big at that time. I just think that the, the changing channels back and forth, uh, may have registered both. So like if you were watching raw and you kept changing back and forth to, to nitro that it was counting on both sides. So again, that's, that's that. I think that'll be debated until the end of time, but I know a lot of us always kind of, you look at it and go, okay, well then where the hell did they go? Right. And, and I think that, when you look at it and you're honest about it and, and look at the, the way that the numbers moved, 
that it looks like it was a lot of duplication in that. And even Nielsen hadn't disputed that. But you got to make it no DQ, no count out, no everything. So the people can go gaga on the match and let them have some fun. And they play with all the toys. Get everybody involved. And Mick taking his signature bumps on the outside. Rock do a little bit of commentary here. Which you got to time pretty damn, you know, carefully to to when they're doing the live commentary, because now that live commentary has to interact here with the rock going back and forth at the right time. What do you think of this match? I mean, where does this rank all time in their matches? I think it's uh, well, as far as story, this is, this is one of the greatest ever just because of the story itself, as far as technical and, and a match and things like that. I go back to, you know, the Royal rumble, I quit match, which I absolutely hated, <laughs> you know, the, all the chair shots, but that, that match was incredible. And one thing about rock and Mick is, is Mick always had rock beat the living shit out of him. Rock didn't have any problem with that. And the one spot Vince hates more than anything is, is choking people with the, uh, with the cords at ringside. And this crowd, man, absolutely going, as Pat Patterson would say, fucking banana. Little rock bottom on the table action. That was before the tables were always gimmicked to go. So that was a lot of weight and a lot of beef coming through there. And they also left the monitors in there, which I personally prefer. At a pace, I fuck you, Earl Habener, a douchebag. Notice all the pencils on the floor. I do. You always got to have a lot of pencils, man, when you're doing commentary. This is, uh, this is, I mean, look, look at the crowd. Yeah, I know we're watching this with the sound down, but literally everybody's standing. Everybody's ready. They know something. They know they're seeing something big here. Well, and, and you've got everybody, you know, the top guys, everybody is at ringside. They're into it. And the guys at ringside are into it. The, the audience is on its feet and they're into this shit as well. So it it's, you feel something's got to happen. And there was usually a feeling that guaranteed by the end of the night, man, shit's going down. And we always had shit going down. This was. This was something that I don't think anybody really expected. A lot of times it was the promise of something happening and people thinking, okay, how are they going to swerve me? Which is what it became a lot of times. It became, okay, not what's going to happen, but what's going to be the swerve? What's going to be the, what's going to be the switch at the end? And in this one night, the swerve was, well, fuck man, the, the baby face does it. Right. And Mick and Rock, man, just going out, reversal, come in. That was a standing people's elbow, by the way. 
And that, my friends, is a load to pick up in Body Slam. People's elbow coming at you. And I think that what people, you know, forget was usually when Rock, right before he would go into the people's elbow, would, would usually call his opponent a piece of shit. So he'd always try and get him from the other side. So a lot of people who were like hardcore Foley fans would argue that, man, this sort of takes away from his first world title win because you've got so much other stuff going on with interference and outside sources and DX and stone cold and the corporation. But I think it really paints a picture and tells the story of the ultimate underdog because it does. And here, and here he is overcoming every single one of the odds. He's got everybody on the outside fighting against him. He's fighting the best who just nails him with a belt. And no one expects this underdog to actually overcome here. So yes, he, I don't think it tarnishes at all. If you, if you had just a couple, the heels out there, for example, and the baby faces running out, but it, it's almost like equal teams. It's almost like a tag team match in some ways because you've got everybody out there from the beginning. And even still the baby faces are outnumbered. And even with the DDT on the belt, the rock kicks out by God. Out comes Mr. Sacco. You know, you, you look at wrestling and, and just how over the top it could be here. The people's elbow and Sacco in a world title match. If, if something like that was happening today, a lot of the internet would melt. People would be on fire for it, but it was over like Rover, dude. It was, and it was one of, it was one of those ridiculous things that we even laughed about that the more we laughed about that, the people's elbow, the more that the audience seemed to love it. So it's no DQ. So it's totally fine for the rock to, uh, have shamrock come in and save him with a chair shot and look at the crowd blow up for stone cold's music look at that you don't even have to have the sound in order to see the reaction but most say loudest pop in history and here comes the stone cold chair shot wham Down beautiful chair rock. shot mankind drags dragged over the top look at the it, crowd go bananas they, they can't believe it and earl hebner with that definitive nice slow three count let you know man this is happening there's not gonna be any bullshit vince going nuts with the ultimate sell and everybody's way you know they're so damn happy to see stone cold and mick did what everybody said he wouldn't do i think even knowing it in advance that people still had to see it they had to see how the hell did they do it how did they do it and you're not disappointed, even when you know, even when you know, Mick Foley's going to win. How's he going to win? How's it going to look? How's that going to fucking play out? And on that, I think that we definitely delivered. And Michael Cole really pushing how far Foley's come from sleeping on the floor to sleeping in his car to whatever it took. And now... He's known as the WWF world champion. 
which to me is one of the greatest stories in the world. Because if there was, when you take a look at the human beings behind the characters, if there was a human being that deserved it, it was Mick Foley. Vince crying all the way on the way back. <laughs> Mankind with the little wave. With Sako looking for the microphone. What a cool Amazing. story, man. What a big night. For mankind and I can't wait until we do a full mankind show or we'll probably have a few. And here it is, Road Dog announcing him doing the old tag team champions of the world style entrance for Mick Foley. Crowd going At nuts, Vince selling it. Absolutely crazy. I think deep down Vince really is really selling this as a shoot because he's thinking, how in the hell does that guy have my belt, my championship? Yo, Adrian, I did it. Which I think everybody, when they win something big, I think everybody wants to give that Rocky speech at least once in their life. And he's, you know, really telling the story that we've heard before that he's no longer the kids who had to eat worms in the schoolyard. Now he's the champion. And, uh, what a big night, man, in his career. That's a beautiful belt here too. Yeah, it is. And it was just a great story. And it's something that kept people not, they're not predicting everything. They're not sitting there and going, okay, well, I know what's going to happen. Shit was unpredictable. And I think that that's what the audience wanted. They wanted to be surprised and they wanted to be entertained. And in my opinion, this show, that match did exactly that. It entertained and it told one hell of a good story. So awesome, dude. Making the victory lap around the, I just love that show. No, it was one of the best that that will go down as one of the best Raws of all time and going all the way through the, through the show from, from top to bottom. Um, you can even forgive the Terry Runnels pregnancy angle. When you look at it, you know, from the beginning to the end, and you can almost half-ass forget that. Well, hopefully you guys didn't half-ass forget to check us out this week or vote in the poll. Follow us. If you haven't already at Pritchard show and ask a question about next week, Royal rumble, 1999. I'm looking forward to it. I know you are too. It's the next big major show after this. We'll keep the fun going. I'm sure in February we'll hit St. Valentine's day massacre. 2019 man it's gonna be a fun time and we've got lots of live shows coming your way if you haven't already check out all the ticket details at brucepritchard.com our first time in connecticut our first time in san diego our first time in colorado our first time in arizona lots of firsts over at brucepritchard.com so check us out if you haven't already don't forget to find some extra bonus content coming your way in 2019 on patreon at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle couple of bucks a month i think it's like nine dollars you get the shows early and ad free and you get some bonus content a little peek behind the curtain you never know what might pop up on patreon but i know we've had some uh, off-air discussions and we've got some fun stuff planned so hopefully you'll check us out in 2019 over at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle including a little get together here in huntsville so i'm looking forward to uh, us announcing that and i'm looking forward to next week royal rumble 1999 Austin's in first. McMahon is in second. Hmm. Could be interesting. Bruce, I feel like it's about that time. 
Well, I think it is, and I want to wish everybody a very happy and healthy New Year. Shaka. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.